0: How much are you willing to take before you finally find the courage to stand up for your sovereignty and your freedom? How about if we mandate that you stay indoors? You have to stay in your house for two weeks. Is that enough for you to stand up and resist? No? Okay, let's extend it to a month. Let's extend it to a year. How about forcibly injecting you with with chemicals that that are going to make you sick? Is that enough? Oh, no? Okay. How about if we ask you to do it twice? You're still not going to stand up for yourself? How about three times? How about four times? How about your kids? It's not going to end until we say enough.
1: Hello and welcome to Make Language Great Again. Today, I am extremely excited to welcome Charles Eisenstein. And I'm so, so, so happy we're having this conversation. I'm so much looking forward to that. Thank you, Charles.
0: Yeah, Tessa, I'm really happy to be here. And uh, I'm like, you seem like such an interesting, interesting person. I'm like, yeah, I want to interview you too. So maybe we'll uh,
1: <laughs> maybe I'll
0: ask you questions too.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And we can yeah. have many conversations if you want, because I think yeah. that's an infinite well of what we can talk about. And among other things, I really, really loved your recent post about the family gathering the thanksgiving gathering and how mm-hmm. everybody got along and the subject of the the one not to be named as you call it that it didn't even come up much and that people just kind of realized that family is family and then the rest is the rest of it i was really moved by it and i think that is such an important thing to think about
0: yeah yeah that that it was interesting um my, my, my essays have been kind of alternating between ones that are seemingly more militant, like more health freedom uh, direct um, you know, uh, we've got to do something about this. let's call it for what it is, uh, medical totalitarianism, et cetera, et cetera, and ones that seem to be more conciliatory. But, and, and, and so I seem some to some people like I'm vacillating. And maybe there is some internal vacillation, but it's not about that, you know, on alternate Sundays, I begin to question whether this is really happening as far as the totalitarian trajectory that we're in. That's not it. It's that um, I, I get concerned when. Any side in a conflict puts defeating the other side ahead of the whole reason that they are in the conflict to begin with. Does that make sense? Like, to, oh, absolutely,
1: to, that makes both yeah. Make sense. Yeah,
0: yeah, like to 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 see victory as a matter of the opponents grovel before your feet, admitting they were wrong before they get marched off to jail to punish them for the terrible things that they did. Like that feels really satisfying. And that could happen, but there's something more important than that, which is that this nightmare ends, that we reestablish the basic values of of civil liberties, of freedom, of autonomy, of uh, self-determination, which isn't just individual self-determination, it's also on the community level, on the place level, on the local level, Um, and and not just on the corporate level and the national level, right? Right. Like real, real sovereignty in community, like to reestablish these values that is more important than anyone getting punished. And I, I am really cautious, really wary about converting everything into an us versus them narrative. And so the piece you're talking about, about my family gathering like in that in that gathering, I mean, we have like some people in our family who are enthusiastically pro injection. Am I allowed to say is this is so funny? It's just like it was in the Soviet Union where you have to be careful what word you use, you know? Like, is this really am I really living in these times where I have to?
1: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: So anyway, yeah. So so like, there's some who are enthusiastically pro. There's some who are like over my dead body anti. And then there's some kind of in between, you know, who are a little wary of it, a little suspicious, agnostic. Maybe they get the injection reluctantly because they want to have a social life. You know, there's like every the whole spectrum all under one roof. And we didn't talk about it. And it wasn't like this tense thing where where we're gonna avoid this issue and it's the elephant in the room and we're not, no. It just, we could have talked about it, but we didn't because there was something a lot more important than signaling our tribal affiliation. Because that's a lot of what politics is these days. It's, it comes from a crisis in belonging and a crisis in meaning. So people want to, like by, by announcing your political opinions on whatever hot topic there is, you display your group affiliation and you get uh, rewarded um, with affirmation from others in the in-group. So we don't need to do that in my family because we're already in the in-group. Which is called the family. And what I was pointed to in that essay is Is there possibly a resolution to our current divide that is based around understanding that we are all members of the same human family, that we are all children of God, that we are all divine beings? And yeah, we could disagree. And yeah, like sometimes we might even have to fight over something and protect the vulnerable from something. Like we can have serious disagreements. But at the bottom, we want what's best for each other. And we're not going to see each other as irredeemable enemies.
1: That is beautiful. And I think this is actually the definition of life and human experience. Like, I've been feeling this way about life naturally, I guess. So it was not a philosophical development per se although i do remember so many things to to say in response so like i'm over overwhelmed with feeling because what you said is so important like at some point just because i'm so uh i usually really don't like when the helpless are being abused or cheated like the innocent the gullible that since i was a child i remember when i was a little kid and then i saw another kid kind of being semi-abusive with a like turtle and I remember that I, I just stormed in, I grabbed the turtle, and then the girl as she was falling, I caught her because I didn't want her to fall either. That kind of, that, that's like the story of my life. So I do have that feeling when I see somebody being attacked or cheated or abused, my blood boils. But then I had a conversation with somebody extremely wise, and I said, okay, so if we have like a serial killer, somebody who is evil which is very rare among human beings, but that would be evil. And so that person who enjoys causing tremendous suffering to other human beings, so would it cure that person if he was subjected to similar suffering? And then the wise friend who I was talking to, he said, well, when the, yeah, then you would be just like him if you caused the suffering. And on the intellectual level, it made sense. But then it took some years to understand that that's exactly right. And as Mm -hmm. soon as we go to the dark side in order to defend the light, then hello, we're on the dark side. And that is so much of what's happening right now. So for that reason, the story really touched me.
0: It's that gleeful feeling of, boy, I'd sure like to see them suffer. I'd sure like to see Bill Gates be, you know, I'd like to see you look on his face as he's marched off to a prison cell, you know, like that feeling of enjoying the suffering of others for whatever pretext that you have, like whatever rationale you have, why that's good and they should, like that's irrelevant because there's a feeling there. And that feeling is the same feeling that a dominating, dominator, perpetrator has when he's dominating the helpless victim it's the same feeling inside he might have a reason that makes sense to him as well who knows there's always a pretext very rarely do people say suffering is good for the world and i'm like i'm serving evil as an <laughs> abstraction they've a reason you know and and so like they're saying like how are we any different than them what field are we contributing to what psychic field when we're like secretly hoping that our opponents suffer? I saw the, uh, uh, I, mean, I see it on both sides, you know, like like this wish for others to suffer. Like there was one Twitter post or something where it was like, I can't wait to see the anti-vax parents painfully restrained while their children are forcibly vaccinated in front of their tear-filled eyes, you know, that'll show oh,
1: God. Them.
0: Yeah, like, like that kind of, like they might say, well, you know, I hope for this so that they will learn a lesson. Like That's another one of these thought forms, so that they will learn a lesson. But is that how people really change? Like, I mean, I've changed in my life. I'm sure you've changed in your life. Is it because you learned, like someone made you suffer? Is that why you changed? If you have someone in your life and you want them to change, is the way that you do it to make them suffer? Like what kind of person tries to change everybody around them by making them suffer?
1: (laughs) Well, that is a very ancient tradition. And again, there's so much to say in response, but for instance, Mother Teresa, who I personally do not revere because I believe that she was a little sadistic. So I think she was Pretty much impersonating that dynamic and then the pr made her into the saintly figure which is another cultural thing but i was reading accounts where she was actually kind of gleeful about people in the hospital suffering and in pain because in her opinion it would bring them closer to christ so she she was mm-hmm. celebrating that and then holy inquisition you could also say that theoretically If they were so wise and they knew that subjecting a person to that kind of torture or to burning alive, that that will save them from eternal burning. And they have this absolute authority from God who informed them that this is the way it is. And they have the authority over that poor soul. So then internal logic to everything. (laughs) And then we look at the results and it's like, holy, like, what is this? Yeah. Where does the cruelty come from? Where is it even... So, yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I mean, we could go, you know, get really philosophical here. Uh, I mean, I would say, like, to that theological argument, I'd say that's God's job to deal out suffering. We don't have to add to the suffering. If, you, if suffering is what you need to transform, to learn something, there's plenty of it in the world without humans taking on the role of God and saying, I know that you need to suffer. Like, do you really know that? I think only God knows that. And if that's true, then, yeah, you'll get sick. You'll get into a car accident. You'll um, have a death in the family. Um, There's, like, suffering is already built into life without us adding more.
1: I think there's a lot of wisdom to that. I think people like to act out their own Emotions and people like, you know, like me included, I learn every day to kind of watch out for that, but, uh, it's, it is in human nature to ascribe own emotional movements to higher powers, to give ourselves a justification, whether it's like God, scientific progress, the bettering of society. I think that's a very, very easy litmus test. It's like, am I respecting those other people's free will? Like, am I respecting their... Independent direct relationship with you know God, nature, divinity, however, people describe it in their own language. And do I have business in that relationship that is internal to them? Like, if the answer is yeah. yes, then it's another problem. But you yeah. know,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, there's a, I'm thinking right now of a Sufi story where the uh. The enlightened sheikh is walking down the road, and and he sees some some dude having a nap by the side of the road, and a poisonous serpent crawls into his mouth. So he goes to rescue him. He he wakes him up, and the guy's like, why are you waking me up? I was having a nice nap. And then he uh, forces rotten apples into his mouth to try to make him puke, you know? And he's like, what are you, why are you abusing me? You know, And then he starts beating him with a stick, and he's like, why are you abusing me? and he's fighting them. And then finally he vomits out the poisonous snake. And he says, oh, thank you. So that's like a whole other complication. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I, I'm not sure how far down this road we wanna go. Um, I guess the reason I brought up that story is just to say that, that there are no like easy answers. And part of the problem today in our society is, is that people think that the other side is just dumb or just ignorant or just this or just that. It's a, it's a pattern of dehumanization, which short circuits any attempt to actually understand where someone is coming from. And we see it most with the anti-vaxxer label. Where people are just thrown into this category of ignorant, unscientific, you know, Trump voting, uh, xenophobic, bigoted, racist, white supremacist, transphobic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Like this is like basically you're just put in this category of a monster of some sort. Every adjective is heaped on you and you're made into like this this caricature, this this cartoon version of a human being you're dehumanized. That pattern of dehumanization is the main thing that allows tyranny to flourish on earth. You dehumanize somebody, you call them, you know, the kulaks, the the bourgeoisie, the Jews, uh, the anti-vaxxers, the heretics, like you have some name for them, some category, and then everybody can gang up on the identifiable victim class. And if you don't participate, then you're a suspect character too. In the witch hunt, if you don't participate in burning that witch that you talked about, then maybe you're in sympathy with the witches. You know, maybe you need to burn as well. So so this, this more than anything else, this is what allows uh, fascism in all of its forms to flourish.
1: I have to agree, as sad as it is. And I think there are two, well, a thousand and a million two things to say in response again. But one thing, I think what would, well, let's talk about fixes. And I'm doing it semi facetiously because that's kind of a silly approach that our culture loves. Oh, let's come in and fix it. So <laughs> that's not what I'm yeah, saying. Let's exactly. it. Uh, yeah, let's fix it. Yeah, let's do that. Let's we're going to
0: do that in the next 45 minutes. We're going to fix it as a.
1: Yeah, we can also yeah. do a startup and <laughs> it'll fix it even faster. How so, about a but, coin,
0: a crypto? Let's issue a crypto.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. But I think that a lot of problems would kind of go away naturally if people attended to their sensory, again, call it connection to God, the universe, nature, divinity. There are many, many ways to describe it. The higher power in our life. If people did the work that people have always had to do that for millions of years, however long we've been around. And it's a work, it's the kind of work that takes the life. Like it never ends and it's not easy and it's mysterious and there's no formulas. But if people actually took the time to do that, then a lot of the social issues and so-called systemic issues would kind of just go the way of the dinosaurs because there would be no sense or reason for them to exist. Uh, Which are like my own focus, as much as I am concerned with the obvious disaster that is happening right now. And the word disaster doesn't even start to describe it, like not even this much. But as much as I am freaking out about that, I see it as another opportunity for us as a species to kind of smell the coffee and see, okay, like the way we're doing things doesn't really work. So... And it hits everybody on the individual level, as it usually goes, because we live in our individual lives. And there's a collective too, but that's that's more complexity. But we experience our life through our body, through our relationships, through individual experience. And so the disaster that is happening on the global level, it obviously impacts people in their private lives. And then through that, people go, wait a second, maybe there's something wrong. But it's also very unkind way of awakening and i always pray for the kindest way possible like regardless of what people think regardless of what mistakes they made because everybody makes them so that's one thing is kind of like you know i'm a little more conspiratorial than you in terms of the greater set and maybe you are too but publicly i you know i'm more conspiratorial than you and i do think there is a small amount very actually very small amount of people who are genuinely scamming and who genuinely, maybe they believe they're the saviors of our species. Maybe they believe that there should be fewer people because they want to save the planet for their own children. Who knows? I mean, I have no idea. I'm not even going to start guessing what's in their heads, but they have a lot of social influence. And I think from that point, it goes the way of inertia and corruption and confusion. So most people are not conspiratorial, but I do think there's a number of people who are just like trying to manipulate things. But so then if people internally Dealt with their relationships, their own ghosts, their own internal hang ups, then no matter what the evils are trying to do, they would pretty much be helpless. Because if somebody says, oh, your anti-vax colleagues should lose their jobs and their children should starve on the street and be forced, injected. And then you go, wait a second. I think vaccines are great, but that's bullshit. Like that's just not how you treat a human being, then entire thing doesn't work so there's two sides to the whole good and evil thing where yes evil exists evil people exist people who actually really want to do bad things onto others they do exist but their role in my understanding is kind of a predator who just keeps things in balance keeps the rest of us alert and if we are alert then they serve their purpose. They can do just a tiny little bit of evil and then there's nothing else they can do. But if we fold and if it's generational and we keep folding and parents keep essentially betraying their children and teaching them trauma and then next generation trauma and then next generation trauma and then 200 years later, everybody forgot and everybody's just like confused and betrays each other, then evil people can reign for, for a very long time. So it's kind of this role of... They play in what we can do. So what do you you think about that?
0: Yeah, um, I I do think it would be very naive to say that there aren't people in positions of high power who are quite dark, um, ruthless, manipulative, um, uh, deceptive, um, abusive, et cetera, et cetera even like the conspiracy stuff around human trafficking rings and all that kind of stuff. Like, I'm, I can't say that, that, you know, a satanic cabal is in charge of everything at the top. I can't know that, but I do think that, that, you know, human trafficking rings penetrate very, very high into the power structures. There's plenty of evidence for that. And I think that there are certain things Um, certain historical events that are very hard to explain um, without some kind of conspiracy theory. However, I don't think that the deepest explanation for the evils in the world is a bunch of bad guys. I think that the system allows bad guys to get into positions of power. And in fact, there's a necessity for one thing there's two levels of necessity for one a global ideology and system that is based on exploitation based on dehumanization based on the conversion of nature into commodity into resource that field of domination and exploitation is going to generate extreme distillations of that principle and in dark corners, you're going to have the worst possible things you can imagine of human beings doing things to other human beings. It's a, it's a systemic necessity as a expression of an overall field. Secondly, there's a necessity. Then you actually mentioned this a little bit, like um, what we're calling evil has an important function in the development of the human soul because it gives us something to fight against or to define ourselves in relation to. I I, I learned this reflecting on my own childhood um, when I was victimized by bullies. And I realized that on some level, what they wanted was for me to fight back. The bully wanted me to fight back. He was doing a service to my soul by creating conditions where I had to fight back. And if I didn't fight back, guess what? He would intensify the conditions and intensify and intensify until finally I discover something new in myself, which is called courage. So here we have this playing out on a global level. The the population is being subjected to one indignity after another, after another, one outrage after another, after another. And it's almost like the... Bullying powers, which are not just malevolent individuals. Okay, it's a system. The system infantilizes us. The system dehumanizes us. It regiments us. It industrializes us. It makes us into cogs in a machine. The whole system humiliates the human being and robs us of our dignity. And the purpose for this enormous soul-crushing machine on a metaphysical level, the purpose is is just like the bully. How much are you willing to take before you finally find the courage to stand up for your sovereignty and your freedom? How about if we mandate that you stay indoors? You have to stay in your house for two weeks. Is that enough? for you to stand up and resist? No? Okay. Let's extend it to a month. Let's extend it to a year. How about forcibly injecting you with with chemicals that that are going to make you sick? Is that enough? Oh, no? Okay. How about if we ask you to do it twice? You're still not going to stand up for yourself? How about 3 times? How about 4 times? How about your kids? It's not going to end until we say enough. Until we take a personal risk, all of us collectively, until we take a personal risk to stand up to the bullying, it will only intensify and that is how it is supposed to be because the whole purpose of this initiation is for us to discover something new in ourselves.
1: I view it very similarly. And I think obviously it's much easier to talk about it than to live through that. But I've discovered something similar through a very painful experience that also relates to this pandemic or whatever it is. So many years ago, I managed to uh, get myself into an abusive marriage and it was genuinely very, very heavily abusive. I pretty much lost touch with who I was and that that was very horrible and physically and emotionally. And I was so unprepared to being in this condition, despite the fact that prior to that, I actually, I fought off a sex trafficker in China. So I wasn't, I wasn't sheltered. I traveled and I did many things and I grew up in Moscow, which is not a sheltered place necessarily, but I was so unprepared psychologically to this reality that I could be actually in the place where I thought stupid people can be, you know, like an abusive, like I'm an abused woman. No, like not me. I have best schools, you know, career, job, world travel, Tibetan studies, like all all those things. It's like I could not even think in that direction. Nonetheless, it was happening. And I was in denial, in denial, in denial. And it wasn't genuinely horrible. I forgot who I was. I was I was afraid to go to a grocery store and buy a bottle of juice because I thought I was too stupid. And that was from like the opposite of that, right? So and then the only reason I actually was forced to snap out of it was because he actually, he completely set me up. I found myself in jail for like completely absurd, like absurd, abs- the most absurd thing you can think of. And and then he served me with divorce papers the, the moment I got in jail because he was a lawyer. He was afraid I would talk. And so that he completely, he was just hoping I would be deported and like out of his sight. and. That was tremendously painful. It took me many, many years to recover. And then I was thinking, like, why? Like, why, why, oh, why? Why did I have to deal through that? It was so heavy. And then I was thinking, okay, was I stupid? Because thinking back, thinking with a clear mind, there were about million occasions when I could get out without losing much. And it didn't even occur to me. I was so in my bubble and Then we're thinking, was I stupid? Well, kind of was. But then on the other hand, when this last year happened, then I was like, oh, that's why. Because I didn't go for this this time around. As soon as I heard the messaging, that was pretty much identical to what that other guy was telling me. Like, I can't trust my senses. If I disagree with the narrative, then I'm clearly stupid and I shouldn't see my friends and I shouldn't Like, I was like, wait, no, 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 I've seen this movie, it's bullshit, and I pretty much was not, I was impacted for maybe a couple of weeks or, you know, a month, but after that, I was like, no, I'm not doing that. Had that other thing not happened, I would probably not be, it would not be so easy for me to see see through that, which goes back to the story that you told earlier about the guy beating with a stick and all that. So... That was a horrible experience I had to live through. It was absolutely devastating. It was horrible. And yet, years later, it all of a sudden was a useful tool. And mm. I was like, wow, I mean life really is wise. It's it's quite amazing.
0: Wow, yeah, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that story. Um you know <laughs> when I've written about this. COVID, biosecurity, medical totalitarianism. One of the criticisms I get is, Charles, you're just projecting onto this situation, your own childhood trauma. Maybe you were bullied, maybe you were abused, and now you're seeing it everywhere. When in fact, the authorities have only your good in mind, and they're only protecting you and others from contagion. There's no bullying going on here. So maybe you and I, Tessa, are just these defiant personalities based on our trauma history. And we are um, endangering others with our, with our delusions. What do you, th- what do you say to that?
1: Uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. But, you know, I think just like in the Soviet Union, they did use the psychiatric shtick to put people away who are dissidents. I think it's actually very convenient, like it's a very, very convenient linguistic narrative to put people asleep, especially if they are terrified. And I've been, actually, this is something I've been thinking about a lot, the sensation of a person who separates from their soul, usually by the seduction of the predator who very much wants the person to separate from the person's souls because then it's easy food. But then, for instance, I have conversations with very, very smart friends who go, well, why don't you like transhumanism so much? So so we have sensors in our bodies. So what? Maybe it'll help our health. It'll monitor our organs. And maybe it'll it'll calculate things well for us and give us good advice. And they are sincere. And they're in a complete state of enchantment when they think that because they don't realize that it's a bully and a predator who is going to eat you they're not going to just you know give you good advice and leave you alone it's an entirely different scenario altogether but i think that going through that abuse actually gives you a very very vivid sensory experience that tells you that's what it is like that's Mm -hmm. what it's about without that it's very easy to fall on the rosy you know delusion of yeah of course i mean like my husband when my abusive husband was telling me that was to make me a better person whatever he was doing that was yeah. that was actually the line i want you to be a better person
0: and he probably believed it fully himself at least on a conscious level
1: it's possible but at one point we were watching a film i don't remember what it was about it was about a serial killer and in that film the guy had a tender moment, like the, the character in the film had a tender moment when he treated a woman he liked and then tried to kill. But in that 10 minutes that he liked her, he was like tender and sweet to her, giving her gifts. And then my ex said, see, he just wants to be loved. And I was like, mm. oh, <laughs> should I run now or later? But wow. but then I thought he was joking. and So... Hmm. So I mean, like speaking of, I am sure that the worst person on the like the worst, most evil torturer, sadist, and serial killer, somewhere in there, there's a child who wants to be loved. I'm sure it's true, but it doesn't mean that we should be the people, oh, oh, yeah, or, right. or
0: allow him to do it to others. Right, right, yeah, and and that necessity to protect others from, um, malevolent people, that. Can coexist with an understanding that punishment, like punishment is separate from containment. The original idea of prison actually was humanitarian. Prison, at least there's a, a strong um, historical tradition of prison being an, a replacement for punishment instead of punishing people, we're just going to make sure that they can't harm others. We're going to contain them. I think that that, that that, and then of course, prison turned into another form of punishment. And maybe to some extent it always was, but there was this reformist idea that I resonate with very strongly that, that says, yeah, we have to stop people from continuing to do harm. But as soon as we turn toward making it our job for them to suffer, we've secretly bought into their program. Um, I guess that's kind of returning to a, a previous theme, but um, yeah, I don't know, where should we go?
1: No, I I, I like this duration of the conversation. I might not necessarily like the reality, but it is, it is what it is, and it is the existential state we are in, and there's wisdom to it on a very very high level but here,
0: here, oh, I've, there's one other thing i can bring into it actually uh, uh it related to you know are the power elite actually evil do they actually like like your ex-husband you know i said maybe he really did think that this was all for your own good and maybe those in power are are, are thinking this they're like okay we have the good of humanity in mind. We're smarter than the rest of them and we can engineer a perfect society if only everybody obeys us. If only we get all of the data into our database so that we are our AI software can run on it and make sure every resource is distributed to the exact right spot and every person is doing the right thing and in the right place and Every body function is monitored and every crime is predicted because we have, you know, hormone sensors in their bodies to anticipate violent acts and constant surveillance. And if we can only implement all of this, the world will be perfect. For this to happen, we need power. We need obedience. So anything that gives us power, anything that gives us more control, anything that that makes the world more available to us to convert into a data set is good. Why is it good? Because it helps us. It gives us more power and we're going to use the power for the good. Therefore, good equals more power for us. And this is exactly what Orwell was writing about in 1984. If you remember that's, the the party embraces power as a goal in and of itself. Its justification is that we are the good. So of course, more power for us is more power for the good. And that that idea, even more deeply than the technocratic elite, the idea that the destiny of humanity is to impose greater and greater control upon the world to conquer everything else and and to ascend to a state above nature. Like that ideology is bigger than any power faction. So the, the, in my mind, the revolution that we are part of right now is not only a revolution against power-hungry individuals or power-hungry institutions, but it's actually against the whole ideology of power itself. And the idea that The way toward a better world, the way toward human happiness is to control things, to control more and more and more so that we can make paradise. The revolution is into a different mentality that says paradise comes through participation in an intelligence beyond the human that we don't impose onto the world, but that we listen for, that we bow into service to and participate in, and we become part of something much bigger than we can even understand. So it's a letting go of control.
1: You use different words to describe what I write about as well, so thank you for saying that. Uh, I think, well, we are already a part of that, so we really don't have to do anything to be a part of it, I think. We, Mm we, we, the the act of accepting it and feeling it and developing a sensory connection is another matter, but it's, we are already, we, we can't do anything to not be a part of it. We are a part of it. That's, that's how life is, I think. And here, I almost think that in my mind, I am not necessarily, when I say fight robots, I more refer to the inner robot. Mm -hmm. or to the psychological condition because I think that psychological condition exists and it can it can hop from one person to another or it can hop from one system to another like for example if you look at the history of Russia when the Bolsheviks came to power and I cannot stand Bolsheviks I have to say they created so much havoc very close to my historical time and I really can't stand them but They did it because they said they were were going to fix the problems Mm -hmm. that existed before. And of course, there are problems that existed before. They actually made it kind of worse. But that's kind of the story of revolutions historically. Usually there's a problem. Then somebody very ambitious for themselves comes and fixes it. But then they really, like nothing changes. The same evil system that, you know, my friend Stephen Newcomb calls it system of domination, and I think that's a very astute name. It's kind of this, what you call, power structure, right? I mean, like, that's the same thing. And that's where the problem lies. And it can be this ism, or that ism, or 10 other isms, doesn't matter. As long as people have that ambition of, I know better what the divine equilibrium is, or whatever, they they can call it an atheistic equilibrium, but it's still paradise on earth. So I know better than you, you have no business deciding your own relationship with the high powers. I know better, I'm going to tell you, and you better do what I say. And that's the story of the entire post-Indigenous history with different isms and different parts of the world, where somebody decided, oh, I finally figured out God, let me go tell them. And and from that point on, people are not entitled to figuring it out themselves. They have yeah. to listen to whatever written word. I mean, it's it's so fascinating how it all works. And now here we are looking at the great reset and technocratic sensors and the nano dust, but it's a continuation of the same tradition. It's just straight in our faces right now, this way.
0: Yes. Yep, the same ideology playing out in different ways. The one thing that I'm questioning about that narrative, um <laughs> you know used used the word post indigenous but it's not so clear to me that this kind of thing didn't have antecedents in indigenous times as well uh with you know with um black magic sorcery and so forth uh where the basic pattern of trying to override somebody else's will and sovereignty was already in place and you know, some people say, well, that was not in matriarchal original cultures. That was only a response to the incursion of the patriarchy and stuff. But I'm, I've am i got on my bookshelf uh, a new book uh, posthumously published by David Graeber that I'm going to read and, and review for, for my blog um, that I think uh, really deconstructs the myth of the Egalitarian indigenous society, and paints a more complicated picture, where everything that is playing out today can be traced back deep, deep into human history and prehistory. Um, which doesn't mean that it is permanent and inevitable, and that it will never change, but it does call into question this this divide between. The pre-indigenous and the post-indigenous, the pre-modern and the post-modern, and and sees like these long threads going back into primeval times that are that have maybe taken on a life of their own, but um, maybe we have to. Um, I, I think that are that are. The change that we want to see today, the situation in the world, the apocalypse, you called it a disaster and worse than a disaster. I think maybe the right word is an apocalypse, because that has the idea of a revealing of what's behind the veil. Um, maybe we have the chance to really understand our human nature in a different way, and to bring attention to these shadows that have been operating for so long, even into prehistory. And by putting light on those, maybe then they begin to transform. Because I don't think that we are slaves to human nature. You know, I, I think that that we're so young as a species and and, and we barely know even through all of history and prehistory, maybe we've only experienced 1% of what human nature is and can be.
1: I think that as far as the line between indigenous state and the post-indigenous, that's probably an imaginary line because people are people. And by definition, by just pure logic, everything that is happening today has come out of something. And at some point, every group of people populating earth was indigenous. So it had to develop from somewhere. And I think the difference, the way I perceive it is more our society has been very extreme in the post-indigenous state. Like everything was extremely exaggerated Mm -hmm. and things that existed Like every balance is, I think it's a part of human nature to play with each other and to, you know, compete and do all those things. That's, that's not a bad thing. That's, you know, it has, even evil has an existential role as, as we talked about before. And I'm convinced that there's something because if people only have very good things all the time, 24 seven, then it becomes boring. And one of my theories is that maybe human species as a human organism, as a whole organism, Decided to play with not having things so good, because maybe the human organism became bored with this serenity and peace. I mean, who knows? It's it's impossible yeah. for me to know. It's just you know mythologizing and thinking out loud what could have happened. But I think that from what I know about cultures, different cultures that existed in the you know in the, in the indigenous state, even wars were more of a game, meaning that some people died still and, and there was slavery still and all those things but there was an intrinsic understanding of a respect for the spirit even if it's the spirit of the person you're fighting so you wouldn't go too far you would play you would play out this energy of competition and war and but then you would know to stop like what i think is happening right now is people don't stop they mm-hmm connect to some energy and they just go all the way to explore it as long as you know they can take it.
0: Yeah. yeah, it does seem that that maybe um, certain elements of human nature are playing out in, in an exaggerated form um, so that maybe we can move past them. you know like it has to be shown to us in fullness. It's kind of like the whole bully thing, you know. Like, are you done with this yet? Okay, let's make it bigger. Now, are you done with it yet? No. Okay, let's consume all of life within this uh, mentality of domination until humanity can say, "Yep, we're done with that now." So maybe that's. I mean, there's. I think there's something, something to that. I mean, I thought we were done with it a long time ago, though. And and. No, I mean, really,
1: no, well, like, competition can be very interesting when it's within, I think within range oh, yeah. is the key phrase. A lot of things are interesting within range. And like imagine if you're planning a trip to go somewhere to the mountains and do something extremely physically strenuous. And as you're sitting at your desk, you know, picking up locations online, it can feel really interesting. Then when you're there and it's not interesting at all, it's very difficult. Right. So it could be something like that, but I think like the, the lesson that the lesson that I'm constantly learning for myself, and it's kind of in relation to the great reset and also to my own life, is that it's important to watch out and not be taken over, because you can almost feel when some something takes you over and tries to make you act out of character tries mm-hmm. to make you angry or all those things and w- eventually you learn that that's not you and you got to be alert and as you su- as soon as you feel it you're just like nope not going there go away mm-hmm. and that's maybe a lesson that every human being is supposed to learn and like what you're saying as long as the human being refuses to learn it then it just becomes more and more extreme Yep. So, we've solved it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well.
1: <laughs> well, I'm obviously being facetious,
0: but. <laughs> yeah, we have we have some ideas anyway. Now I think this thing, I, you know, I had this uh, psychedelic trip not too long ago where I went into this intense hell of, of being God alone in eternal solitude. Like it's the worst hell you can imagine of being eternal solitude. So as God, I made up this entire drama as a temporary distraction from the hell of eternal solitude. And the more absorbing the drama, the better pleased I was. (laughs) And I think when I, when I look at the world right now, I'm like, yep, God's pleased. It's <laughs> a very entertaining trauma that's unfolding right now. And we all take it so seriously.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's very hard to not take it seriously when something hurts. Yeah. I think one of the most difficult things that one can do is that realize that you have to act above logic. This is my mm-hmm. recent discovery. When objectively, you have all the reasons to be frustrated, hurt, crying, bending your head on the wall and just really, because things really suck and it's really unfair and it's really, really wrong and it's objectively true and yet you have to transcend it and try to react to it in a different way from a position of love and strength and understanding and remember something about yourself that gives you, that actually allows you to even deal with that, which I think is mostly how human beings react, nobody goes, oh, I'm just going to become a better person. Oh, you can think it, but it just doesn't happen. But then right. when you absolutely, you're forced to deal with something like forced, as in like, there's no other way. Like there's just like no other option yeah. at all. And there's no theory to that. No intellectual, no book, no nothing. It's just you and your raw pain. And that that's yeah. where it's like something happens.
0: That, that's how it's been for me. I, I, in in 2020, I went through a lot of vacillation, a lot of like mm-hmm. oscillation from sometimes like this um vain hope, this insincere hope that things are just gonna get better. <laughs> this nightmare is gonna end. And then cycling into despair that that you know the world is going down the toilet and nothing can stop it. And just back and forth and back and forth, and then sometimes, though, there'd be a break in the clouds where I understood that this is what we've been waiting for. This 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 drama that's unfolding has a role for me to play, and it's a new role that I've been maybe preparing for, but it's been a rehearsal, and now the rehearsal is over. Uh, now the now the the actual drama is unfolding, and it's time for me to step into a certain role in that drama. And um, and so like you were saying, yeah, I take it really seriously. Just like if we were kids and we were playing a game of pirates, you know, and I'm and like, okay, that log, that's the pirate ship. And this is my pirate hat and this stick, that's your pirate sword. And, and like, you're supposed to take it seriously. If some kid says, that's not a pirate ship, that's a log, that's not a sword, that's a stick. You're, you're like, get out of here, you know, we're supposed to be playing this game in earnest. And I think that that our current drama and life itself is the same. On some level, it is healthy to maintain a consciousness that it is a drama. There's a bigger reality than all of this. But also, like, why are we even in this drama if not to play it, to play our part fully and with passion? And so that's kind of what happened to me. I was like, at some point, like you were saying, I just, it wasn't logic where I finally said, okay, here's what I'm supposed to do. Here are the reasons why. Now I know that that this totalitarian thing is not my imagination. I found the proof now, and it wasn't that. It was like, at some point, I was like, fuck it. Uh, This is me. This is my role. This is mine to do, and I'm going to do it. It's not that I don't listen to contrary viewpoints. You know, it's not that I don't explore all the different possibilities. But at some point, I mean, I could arrange the evidence to fit whatever theory I want. And at some point, it's, it's, it's not which one is their proof for, it's which one is me, which, which is my role. And it's like you said, when I offered that possibility, maybe this is just our, you know, defiant personalities playing out against the projection of our trauma. You were like, nope, <laughs> That that's it. Nope. It's like, nope, That's that belief is not true in my body. Nope. Yeah, maybe this is all for the good of humanity and the authorities. Nope. Maybe it's okay. Maybe the implant's going to be good. Nope. I don't even care if there are actual nanobots in the injections and graphene oxide and 5G activated whatever. I don't care. I don't need proof of that. It's just nope. No. And it's because I don't trust these people. If someone's going to put something into my body, I want to trust them. How do I trust them? It's because we have a relationship in which they've demonstrated trustworthiness. Has Pfizer demonstrated trustworthiness? Has, has have the health authorities demonstrated that our, 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 our power our political powers? No. Why would I trust them? You know, and there's and there's a gut level like some people you just trust. Some people you just don't trust. Some people can earn your trust. And to, to force somebody to take something into their body when they don't trust you and to use force and coercion as a substitute for respect and for trust. No, I don't care if it is good for me. No.
1: Oh, well, exactly. Like, I think that even mandating vitamin C would be a horrible idea because, it, it is probably significantly more innocent than this holy product. But nonetheless, I'm sure there would be one person in a million or in a 10,000 who could die from it. It's You just don't do such things. And people have an internal instinct. Sometimes just something subjective in you tells you that you shouldn't do that. And then I think, well, it's probably a bit of a conspiracy that the role of subjectivity has been shoved under the rug. Like, I personally believe that Everything that exists is subjective, including possibly laws of nature. They're just so much bigger than us and so much more lasting than to us. They're set in stone, but they're probably a matter of habit too on some level. But, and I think it's so beautiful that we're in this relationship with everything. And it's a subjective, emotional relationship. It's not a mechanical thing. And I think that's what makes us alive. And that is probably actually going back to our conversation about indigenous versus post-indigenous. I think that sensory perspective of everything being a relationship, Yeah, they had it back then. And I think it's, uh, actually, I think that it's also accurate factually, but people can debate because it's hard to prove. But then once we let go of that, and we think that everything is just a mechanical thing, then if you don't have the warmth, then at least you can control it or you can try because something has to be like you have to have something. So if not the relationship, then let it be controlled. And that's probably like a sad version of missing relationship. Mm-hmm. But as far as subjectivity, yeah, I mean, like people should be allowed to say, you know what? Because I don't want to. Th- there was a scene in the film, uh, A A Heart of a Dog by Bulgakov, the Russian writer. And so they made, so as you know, the play was banned for a long time because it was written in the 1920s about the Soviet Union. And then they made the film during the, well, already post-Soviet times, which is an absolutely brilliant film. So there's a scene in which a medical professor who is very wealthy comparing to the proletarian people, but he's... star he's a celebrity medical professor so somebody a committee some kind of communist committee shows up at his place asking him to vacate his premises and they also want him to buy some propaganda newspapers for german children and he says no you know what i'm going to pass i'm not going to buy them from you and they go you don't care about german children and he goes of course i care about german children so why don't you want to buy it because I don't want to and I mean, like that's the entire dialogue Mm. and I think that that is a very important feature that we should just respect sometimes somebody just doesn't want to do something and it's fine and well of course with this product, they invented the whole narrative that by choosing not to do it the person is going to kill the grandma and I think many marketers worked on that concept This is where my conspiratorial thinking comes in because I did study marketing and I know how that works. I think that probably a lot of money was spent on messaging on a very high level, and entirely possible that the people in that marketing room maybe sincerely believe that they're doing good.
0: Yeah. I think for sure, like if if I were going to design a propaganda campaign and, and an information environment, to justify forcing people to get the product mm-hmm. I wouldn't have done it exactly the way that it's been done now it could just be coincidence but you know I would have to say I would have to say well like you'd have to deal with the problem of of hold on if you're um if you receive the product then you should be immune well so you have to have to tweak it so that you're mostly immune but just vulnerable enough that that there's a percent chance that the spread, that the ones who haven't received the product will spread it at a higher rate and therefore give you a statistically higher probability of getting, like you have to to set it up exactly right. Every single element of it has to be exactly the way it is right now. So I'm not saying it was deliberately, like you could be right. It could have been deliberately engineered this way. If it wasn't deliberately engineered it's quite a uh, striking coincidence, (laughs) you know?
1: (laughs) And I think going back to what you said about the benevolence of the proverbial elites who genuinely think that they're better qualified and therefore everybody should just obey them. You know what? You might very well be right. It might very well be the case. And I've had this conversation with myself many times, like, And I decided I don't really care. I mean, like, I don't care if they're doing it based on believing that they're on the right side of history or whether they're doing it because they like killing people and they're conscious of that. I really don't care. I mean, like, it's in their mind and I wish them healing, but it's not my job as of this second to attend to their mind. My job is to attend to my life and to protect myself. And I actually do wish them the best. I do not have this revenge thing at all. Like, if you gave me right now gates on his knees, chained, and I could do whatever I want, I probably would not want to harm him because like I would I would live live it up to the universe, like really, because I think that's not my job. And I don't have, I mean, I don't have that feeling that, oh my God, this horrible person should suffer. I just don't feel it. Luckily. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't like, I don't think they're entitled and I don't want to fall into the trap of finding a good spot in their psyche and then allowing them to eat me because they have that good spot. No. I mean, that's my responsibility to myself, to my soul. I yep. am tasked with protecting myself. And yep. I think this is the fundamental thing that, yes, maybe revenge is not the best feeling, and but it's a very different thing.
0: But, like, but there, is a, there is a strategic point here I want to make. Um, Like, I think it does make a difference whether they are simply evil and want to cause suffering and, you know, get kicks out of that, or if they are immersed in an ideology. Because if they are um, immersed in an ideology and they're not actually monsters, then in addition to simply stopping them by force, containing them, Or destroying them, we have another option, which is to change the ideology, to change the conditions that allow them to justify and valorize what they're doing. Now, we may not be able to do that, but at least we have the possibility. Secondly, if we make an error and see them as simple monsters, then, and we try to uh, arouse the troops by talking about how monstrous they are. Um, For one thing, we we look ridiculous to them and we look like the monsters in their eyes. And secondly, um, we are at risk of a fake solution which is to depose all the monsters without changing the system that produces monsters. So I I do think it's important to, you know, even at the same time as we set firm boundaries and resist and say no, it's also important to try to understand the conditions that are generating the the system and generating the people who are uh, administering the system. I think we really can do both.
1: It's interesting. I'm going to Agree with you and contradict you at the same time. So I think that as far as arousing the troops by saying they're monsters, I'm not in favor of that technique in general. So I think saying that their actions are monstrous are enough. I mean, that's enough Mm -hmm. because that's true. Then as far as trying to understand them, I did go through similar exercises some years ago and I kind of drove myself crazy and I right now I'm in a place where there are other problems, like many other issues that I need to address before I use my energy for trying to understand what's in the head of Bill Gates. So for all practical purposes, as of this second, I don't care. I mean, I mm-hmm. can analyze, and he's probably not the most important monster anyway. And uh whether he's I don't think that actually monsters in the absolute sense of an exist, I think it's always, like, there's always some mystery happening there, but based on actions and choices, as of the second, he's monstrous. I'm not convinced I can influence his choices, so I'm not really putting my energy into like doing anything to Bill Gates or whatever. I think that the battle is in the internal world or, you know, writing or doing whatever or protesting, whatever people do. But that's internally driven then Mm -hmm. on the other hand as far as the system generating monstrosity I think well I'm subscribed to the view the theological view that is uh, common or at least accepted in a number of indigenous cultures that I'm familiar with where a human being kind of selects their job load before coming to this world so that would probably apply to the predators as well. So then the other matter is what people do with when the predator comes in. So I think that the ideal design is that the predator comes in and then people go, no, 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 go away. And that's how it plays out. And then it's kind of like an inoculation, so to speak, mm-hmm. let me use this word. But if the monster comes in or the predator comes in and people all bend over and... Then it's a different scenario. And then the monster gets emboldened. And then, you know, yeah. centuries later, people still have to deal with that. But I'm not sure if it's the social, well, social system reflects the internals. So based on the internals, people create the social systems, then uh, that then can perpetuate yeah. the psychological trauma. But it's kind of like the two-way. So it's not like a horrible system. Generated the trauma or the confusion or the predators. I think it's 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 far more complex. It goes both
0: ways. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I can see that, and and um, yeah, I can appreciate your view. You know, for I, I just like sometimes I run into people who are close to the power elite, you know, mm-hmm. and and or who are occupying important roles in the system, and like they seem like kind of regular people, like just they're not like sinister, you know? And the other thing, um, yeah, that I'm seeing in the health freedom movement, when this orientation toward looking for the horrible people and identifying and, and, and diagnosing the cause of horrible actions as horrible people, when I, that that orientation gets really strong and pretty soon people start seeing it everywhere and they start accusing each other of being controlled opposition because well so and so you know they are anti-vaccine but you know they totally believe in germ theory and you know that means they must be controlled opposition and they talk about you know outer space as if it really exists when we all know the moon landing was a fake and like and and you know like they start to to you know, you get suspicious if if you think that the world is this complicated conspiracy, you know, from the top and it has its tendrils and everything. Like, like, gosh, Tessa, like maybe maybe you're a controlled opposition, you know. Like, <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it just fosters this. Like, I,
1: I, I I know yeah. what you're talking about. Yes. <laughs>
0: And there's like, there's a, there's like, this is interesting because you were were talking about the predator and what I always think about what makes us vulnerable to the predator. Partly like they hook onto traumas and they hook onto ego hooks, you know, they manipulate like a used car salesman might manipulate Mm -hmm. you with greed and stuff, but partly they're also taking advantage of basic trust Trustingness in human beings. And um, maybe, you know, trust is never safe, actually. Otherwise, it wouldn't be so scary. And so maybe we will always be vulnerable because we trust, because we're willing to be hurt, because that's also. The gateway toward to, to intimacy, to love, and and so maybe you know this story will never end.
1: Well, I hope that the story of extreme dysfunction will end because that's actually I don't think that for millions of years we lived in an extremely dysfunctional state. I think
0: mm-hmm. there
1: was everything, but the overall. I think was much happier because people kind yes. of lived from the inside, and people knew at the time, based on what I understand, that the well-being of the community as a whole and maybe the survival of the community really depended on everybody being fulfilled, developing their gifts, having good relationships. Because when there's no buffer like we have in cities, they didn't have it. There was far more pressure to actually constantly, you know, be getting their shit together. So that said, I think that we kind of have the ability to develop the senses of where trust, you know, we feel like we can either trust or not, or maybe something happens, just like what you were saying earlier. And it boils down again to subjectivity as being the medium for absolutely everything. Like there's no formula. And speaking of controlled deposition, I think it's so funny because, well... Without a doubt, controlled opposition exists. I mean, only Perfect. the lazy agency would not be doing that. I mean, of course they're doing that. At the same time, there are things that can be explained in other means, and there's egos and all those things, and life is as complex as it has always been. And I think that fanaticism is unhealthy no matter where it comes from. I think it, it again, it comes in so many ideologies. That fanaticism, but it's the same quality. Like sometimes I get into this where you know people like what I write, but then they try to convert me to straight out Christianity. Mm-hmm. And they go, but but you you realize that all the answers come if you accept Jesus Christ as your savior. And then I don't know what to say because they they genuinely mean me well. They're coming from a good place, but they somehow think that they're in business of deciding my relationship with the divine, which is silly. So on the other hand, people get excited and anxious about this whole, oh, this person is for the great reset and they're whatever. It's my theory about it is that the fight against the great reset is mostly internal. Like things that we do externally, they're extremely important, but they're all predicated on our work on establishing and maintaining spiritual balance for the lack of a better word. I mean, it's a horrible phrase because it's been hijacked, but you know what I mean? So without that, if you're an asshole in your own relationships, then it doesn't matter what you think about the Great Reset or what you've discovered about this technology or whatever, because it's just noise. And then it's not like, so imagine, so say 20 million people on Facebook condemn nanochips or whatever, like a blockchain or any of those things, and they say, oh, it's a horrible thing. Is the world going to change? I don't think so. I don't think that people who are... What do you mean?
0: My, my opinion change. on Facebook doesn't change things?
1: Come <laughs> on. Well, maybe mine does, but <laughs> no, but, but you know what I mean? It's like, if... There's a group of extremely powerful and not so well-intended people who, who do want to do all those things, which I believe is the case. Like, you know, the new financial system, this whole digital surveillance and turning us into us. I think it is actually happening. And I don't really think they care what we say on Facebook or even how we march or any of those things. They're just pushing through. So, and we may protest or we may be aware so we were aware of I don't know like fracking being bad. Did it change anything? It's not conspiratorial to say that fracking is bad, is is bad, but it's there. So something has to change internally in parallel with doing all the important work. Otherwise, I mean I don't know. I might be wrong, but this is my opinion as of the second anyway.
0: So I, w- I would say that some- when something changes internally, we become much more effective in doing the outer work.
1: I, I would agree with you. So we solved it after all. <laughs> yep. Now for, we, we can sell this podcast for nine ninety nine <laughs> <laughs> yeah. as an instruction to fixing the world.
0: <laughs> right. Well, what we have to do create a whole course around it and upsell to the course. That's what. We should oh yeah,
1: do. that's right. Yeah. Damn, I was hoping to. <laughs> No, but well, I we think can negotiate
0: a... my, my my lawyer will negotiate with your lawyer about the licensing fees <laughs> yes.
1: but I think that is actually the tricky part about our current civilization where there's no patience like we don't maybe because life has been comfortable for a few decades for many people at least in the western parts of the world that the notion that sometimes things can take time it just... It's just not present. And because of that, oh, I had this genius idea. Now I have to package it and it's going to solve everything. And I'm going to feel important. I think that feeling of actually feeling important, that's, that's something I've been thinking about a lot. Because I think that we all have this. That's an energy that is inbuilt. We have to leave an imprint on the world. We have to deliver our message. We have to. Like, it's unbearable to not be able to do that. So that's an inbuilt thing. But then if our senses, somehow the discipline, the patience, all those things, they have not been formed properly, then we just slap our message wherever, you know, whoever can't run away. So we're just so compelled to do that. And sometimes, you know, like, parents do that to their kids without even, like, they're definitely not trying to kill anybody, right? I mean, there's definitely no conspiracy. Yet, they do that because they just somehow internally don't realize that the children have their own internal thing. So, and if parents do that, then surely Klaus Schwab, who is far less benevolent, (laughs) he probably does it a lot. But, so that misguided creativity, I think is a Big part of what's happening. Th- does it make sense what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, we could go down many different avenues. Um, but I feel, I don't know, I feel like it's maybe time to just kind of draw it back in.
1: Um, yeah, we, we can do that. We'll, well, we can leave it at the fix.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we solve the problem, oh, so. you know. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, cool. Thank you so much. It was wonderful to talk to you. And yeah, it'll be yeah, busy.
0: really, really, I've really enjoyed reading your uh, Substack, you know, and and, um, you know, watching you be brave. And I think, you know, the more of us that are brave, the easier it is for other people to be brave.
1: So, I think so, and and likewise. Yeah. I mean, your, your story about the morality and the unvaxed is just truly really struck me. Mm. So thank you.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. I'll talk to you later.
0: Yeah. This was fun, Tessa. I'm glad you did it.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Bye-bye.